You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. Today's scripture comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verses 3 through 6. And Jesus asked the experts in the law and the Pharisees, Is it lawful to cure people on the Sabbath or not? But they were silent. So Jesus took him and healed him and sent him away. Then he said to them, If one of you has a child or an ox that has fallen into a well, Will you not immediately pull it out on a Sabbath day? And they could not reply to this. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, throughout Lent, as you know, we've had these scripture vignettes and then a scripture lesson. And combined together, they tend to be four or five scripture passages. Today we have five scripture passages, and they all come from the Gospel of Luke. Not that there are any, aren't healing passages in Matthew, Mark, and John, but these happen to be from Luke, which is interesting because Luke is believed to be a physician. In her book, Gospel Medicine, Barbara Brown Taylor has some insights into Luke. She says, Luke understood the things of doctors. He understood the joy of healing, the grief when there was not healing. He used his brain and his skill, and he could write from that perspective. But Luke wasn't just a doctor. He was a disciple. He followed Christ. And he wrote down the stories of Christ. In Luke, we find the Magnificat, Mary's Magnificat, the birth of John the Baptist, the shepherds and the angels, and the parables of the Good Samaritan and the prodigal son. Luke is the only only place we find those scriptures. Barbara Brown Taylor says, I like to think that Luke never resigned his job as a healer. He just changed medicines. Instead of prescribing herbs and spices and hot compresses and bed rest, he told stories with power to mend broken lives and revive faint hearts. Words are powerful. We can trace the importance of words throughout the Bible. In the beginning was the word. Creation happens through God's word. The words of Abraham begin the covenant between Israel and God. The words of the prophets bring hope and healing to a hurting people. Words of greeting cause John the Baptist to leap in his mother's womb. And words of Jesus time and again speak of love and healing. The words of Paul guided the early church to become the church. Today we examine Jesus as healer. Now, in Jesus' day, there was a stigma that came with being sick or being ill. 
there was often a direct correlation made between one's spiritual condition and illness. A blind man sitting on the road uh, was shunned from a community, not because he was blind, but because of what people assumed that he did that gave him blindness as a punishment. A woman bleeding for 12 years was clearly sinful. She was shunned not just because of her sin, but also she was considered unclean because of the blood. Therefore, she could not interact with society. And in the story of the paralytic whose friends deliver him to Jesus through the roof, we might think that Jesus also made a correlation between sickness and sinfulness because the first words he says are, your sins are forgiven. But Jesus' words did not mean that his sins made the man unable to walk. But perhaps his feelings of guilt had a role in it. So maybe the man had heard so many negative words for so long that he started to internalize them and believe, in fact, that he was no good, that he was a sinner. Perhaps Jesus saw this in him and knew that for healing to come, he needed to hear the words, you are forgiven, in order to be able to walk again. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never uh, hurt me. We say that a lot, but we know it's not true. Words hurt. In an article uh, called The Neuroscience Behind Our Words, Lindsay Horton explains and tells us about a study by Maria Richter and collaborating scientists who monitored subjects' brain responses to auditory and imagined negative words. They called the experiment, Do Words Hurt? And they discovered that painful or negative words increase implicit processing within the subgenial anterior cingulate cortex. Simply put, the study proved that negative words release stress and anxiety-inducing hormones in subjects. Another study found increased levels of anxiety in children associated with higher rates of negative self-taught. Horton goes on to report that in their jointly written book, Words Can Change Your Brain, Dr. Andrew Newberg and Mark Robert Waldman, a communications expert, uh, wrote, a single word has the power to influence the expression of genes that regulate physical and emotional stress. Furthermore, according to these two experts in their field, exercising positive thoughts can quite literally change one's reality. They say by holding a positive and optimistic word in your mind, you stimulate frontal lobe activity. This area includes specific language centers that connect directly to the motor cortex responsible for moving you into action. And as our research has shown, the longer you concentrate on positive words, the more you begin to affect other areas of your brain. So over time, given sustained positive thoughts, functions in the parietal lobe start to change, and consequently, this changes our perception of, the self, of ourself and those around us. Thus, by exercising consistent positive thoughts and speech, we can not only change our self-perception, but how we perceive the world around us. This ultimately grants us the ability to shape our reality and change the world for the better. Words are important. 
They're important to us now, and they were important at Jesus' time. In each case of healing today, each one heard for so long that they were unworthy, that they were outcasts, that they were shunned, that they were guilty. And when you're told for so long that you're no good, how can it not affect your health? How can it not affect you personally? How can it not affect really everything for you? But words also have the power to heal. In today's scriptures, we see that physical healing and healing words of forgiveness have a direct connection. In fact, uh, scholar Fred Craddock pointed out that the same verb in Jesus' statement to a forgiven woman that's found in Luke 7.50, your faith has saved you, is the same verb in today's scripture about the hemorrhaging woman, your faith has made you well, found in Luke 8.48. Saved to us is a faith statement. Made you well is to us a healing statement. In the Bible, it's the same word used for both. They're the same. Words have power to bring healing. And it makes you wonder, did healing come through the act of Jesus placing hands on a person or a person touching his robe? Or did healing come through Jesus' words? Daughter, your faith has made you well. Friend, your sins are forgiven. Stand up and take your stretcher and go to your home. Receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. Jesus' healing ministry, first and foremost, was a ministry of words. And over the course of his life, Jesus shows us the power of words to bring healing and hope and affirmation. These words combined with, these, with his acts of healing show us his power his compassion, and the nature of God to care for the heart and soul of each person, no matter their affliction, no matter their life experience. But his words also called the law into question. He continued to ask, is it lawful to cure people on the Sabbath or not? And to point out the lack of compassion in the law, if one of you has a child or, or an ox that's fallen into the well, will you not immediately pull it out on a Sabbath day? The mandate of no work on the Sabbath had gone to an extreme, leaving no room for compassion, and actions and words made people angry. When Jesus saw someone in need of healing, the words of the law weren't going to prevent him from doing it. And so he continued to call it into question. He called into question the strict adherence to the law through misinterpretation and using words as weapons that alienated and harmed those who didn't match the criteria of the law. Adam Hamilton, in his book, The Way That We've Used for, uh, Throughout Lent this season, said it's important to realize the depth of Jesus' compassion for the sick. In every one of the gospel healing stories, we find that Jesus made a point of noticing and then stopping to heal these sick people. He had both the power to heal and the compassion to use that power. He was constantly involved with people who were sick, blind, lame, deaf, dumb, and possessed, and he raised three people from the dead. He cared about the sick and the troubled. It is vital to know and to remember that when you are sick, Jesus notices. He has compassion, he's concerned, and he offer word, offers words of healing and hope. 
That's who Jesus was and who he is today. He knows our pains, our hurts, our illnesses, and he is with us bringing healing, and he calls us to do the work of healing too. These miracle healing stories inspire us. They build our faith, and they also make us wonder, why doesn't Jesus work miracles in this same way now? But it's not that he doesn't. He does. There are miracles of healing for which there's no scientific explanation. But what I see more often is the way that God uses God's people to work miracles to bring healing. He calls us to be miracle workers, for we are the body of Christ and we're called to do his work in the world. Therefore, the work of healing falls to us. Hamilton says we are called to walk with Christ through healing. We heal others through our gifts and our, gifts and our talents through doctors and nurses, therapists and teachers, parents and friends. Like the friends who brought the paralytic man to Jesus, we are stretcher bearers to others, supporting and surrounding them. All help in the healing process. When we walk in the footsteps of Christ, we look for the sick and oppressed around us always, and we seek to be instruments of God's healing. As instruments of God's healing, miracles are worked through us. Sometimes it's just through our presence. Sometimes it's through bringing a meal or sometimes it's a phone call or a kind word. And sometimes it's through bringing someone to Christ. When Jesus healed all those people, people who were forgotten by the world, who were pushed to the margins, who were left to beg in the street, We don't know if they were healed through his touch or through his words or both, but I'm not sure it matters. What matters is that they were healed by Christ, that they were freed of affliction, they were restored to community, and what we do know is that words can bring healing. We have the power to offer healing through our words, to bring health to a relationship, to bring hope to one forgotten, to unbind someone holding on too tight to their pain, to offer comfort to one who is grieving, to offer forgiveness, and to offer faith in the power of Jesus Christ. The work of healing is just as needed today as we walk with Christ as it was then. May we feel his healing touch, hear his healing words, and may our words and actions also bring healing. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at ClarkstonUMC.com dot o r g